0: September 11, 2011, at the First Church and Parish in Dedham, the Reverend Raleigh Weaver, building bridges over troubled water. After the events of September 11, 2001, I was glued to the news, measuring the reactions of our government against the devastating events of that day. I saved every front page from September 11, 2001 until September 20, 2001, when our then-president, George W. Bush, declared the War on Terror. I know now how idealistic I was to believe that America might have a compassionate response to the attacks on American soil, but at the time I blamed our Republican government. And I wrapped up all of those newspapers, and I gave them to my father, a staunch Republican, as a Christmas gift. I simply wanted my father to consider the degree to which Bush's rhetoric of good and evil, written on every front page after that auspicious September day, stood in contrast to the compassionate persons my parents raised me to be. While emotionally I understood the reactionary response to the loss of life and destruction of property, even today I have difficulty making sense of how nine days after a wildly uncommon event our country could gear up for a war we are still fighting today. If you remember, prior to September 11th, the world appeared from our grounds to be an increasingly peaceful place. Sure, there were war-torn countries, but they were not here. Sure, there was fighting, but it was not on our soil. We had been in a cold war, and we were building a global economy. And then the unthinkable happened, as unthinkable to many Americans as cows falling from the skies over Japan, in the poem I read by Tom Paxton this morning. Our own American plane struck us, and just nine days later, our president set an agenda to free us from fear by starting a war. On this 10-year anniversary, it would be easy to spend an entire sermon questioning our American response and offering conjecture about the way things might have been handled differently, how a different response by our then-government might have left us in different financial circumstances today, or how a more measured response might have engendered more support from other countries and perhaps even less divisiveness in our own Congress. But what good would those discussions do us? We cannot turn back the clock. One year after September 11th happened, the minister in San Francisco, where I was doing my internship, made this point with a tube of toothpaste. Some problems that are created, he explained, are more akin to squeezing all the toothpaste out of a tube and then trying to put it back in. Some wrongs can never be righted. Our worldview, if not our world, was changed ten years ago today. Much as the fisherman in our poem, many of us now regularly look for things that we did not perceive could happen before that date. And so we protect ourselves as never before. We watch, we reinforce our borders, we secure our schools, waiting expectantly for the next cow to fall. What if instead we could program our hearts and minds and institutions to respond to crisis without fear? but instead with the compassion Teresa of Avila suggests, to look with empathy at everything we have created in this magic world. Easier said than done, right? As a minister, I would like to believe I respond with compassion at all times. I want to behave more as the old man on the train who asks the angry drunken man to sit and talk, with an open mind, than as the trained warrior who is poised in a protective stance. In truth, I know sometimes I can listen objectively and with compassion, but too often I find myself responding automatically with my own protective ideas. After traumatic or shocking or unbelievable events or even just a bad day, we tend to square off to protect ourselves, to prepare our minds so it won't happen again. We build up walls of possibilities that may never happen. We move into defensive postures. We protect our own positions. This cycle is most evident today in the House and Senate, the way two sides square off as though the answers were as simple as one right and one wrong ideal. The real truth is that there can always be a bridge, a place where both sides of an argument can meet and have their needs met, and this is what I want us to consider today. I want us to look past the troubled waters beneath the bridge, the things that have happened and the things that might happen, and instead focus on the way we get across from one high ground to the next high ground. In his book, J.D. Trout suggests that you can't just expect people to have empathy and compassion. He calls them primitive and capricious emotional reactions. As he explains it, we need our institutions and our government to set up pathways of practice as a bridge so that corporately we respond with compassion that is not subject to the whims of our own self-centered need. We see from the example of our second reading this morning that great obstacles to a compassionate response can be overcome easily when the government sets the expectation. Each of us in our own lives must start by setting compassionate and empathetic practices as our priorities, fully listening to others without judgment Trout states, empathy serves its purpose when we allow our tendencies toward fellow feeling to move smoothly, automatically, and habitually. To create automatic and habitual empathy, we must individually and collectively develop a deeper awareness of our own bias and allow carefully set priorities and goals to bridge the gap between our individualistic needs and the common good. Here in Dedham, there are several bridges that are being worked on. And one thing that I've noticed about constructing an actual bridge is that making a sturdy bridge over a real river or highway takes a great deal of time. Bridges cannot be built overnight. And generally, when you build a bridge, you have to sacrifice the smooth flow of traffic, creating detours and new obstacles before the new safe passage is complete. Nearly every road between the church and the rest of the world has had construction this summer, and I have encountered many obstacles and roadblocks in my travels. The one thing I've learned in dealing with all of those roadblocks and detours is that how I approach them makes all the difference. Building bridges requires time and detours, and I can either accept the hold-ups and rerouting, with a positive, accepting attitude, or I can spend my time cursing the workmen and feeling frustrated. We are in a period of dramatic transition, some of us personally, some of us professionally, all of us collectively and economically. And we can either build our bridges with frustration or with compassion. Having done an equal amount of both this summer, I can tell you for certain that meeting obstacles with compassion makes the experience a great deal more pleasant. Each of us is bound to encounter troubled waters in our lives. To build bridges that will serve us long into the future, we must start from the grounds of empathy and compassion. Next week, our church and parish will hold its special congregational meeting after worship we will readdress what could be our own troubled water, our detour in our budget discussions. The tides are shifting all around us. We are bound to encounter troubled waters. It is whether our bridge is built with compassion or consternation that will determine how long our bridge will last. To create a sturdy bridge, we must always lay down our own sword and shield and put aside our rational and irrational worries to look squarely at what is in front of us. Let us accept the detours as they come and create the structures necessary for safe passage to the next high ground.